this morning the purpose of our gathering as we continue on in our Seek First, uh, the Kingdom of God campaign uh, for our small groups, is we want to look at the idea of fruit, the idea of fruit, what it means to produce fruit keeping with the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a a parable this morning, the parable of the tenants, and then we're going to break down just a few pieces around a warning, what is fruit, what does it mean to produce fruit, how do we produce fruit this morning, Uh, and then we'll kind of end with a celebration uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, or you can follow on the screen, looking at the story of the parable of tenants from Matthew 21. Verses 33 through 45. It says this. Listen, Jesus speaking, he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenant's Uh, to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants, Jesus asked. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this. And it's marvelous in our eyes. In verse 43, this is kind of the crux of this morning. He says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Father, we pray this morning as we dive into this story, got into what it means to be a people that produce fruit, we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us and lead us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the idea of parables, and I said this last week at the end of our time, but the idea of parables, and you may not know this, is that parables actually are written with the idea of kind of a, 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 a riddle-type form. What I mean by written in riddle-type form is that the parable, the story is not told for the purpose of being completely understood in the moment. It's supposed to be a story that's told that creates questions among the listeners so that they would then take time afterwards either to ask for help and understanding, to gather together with other people to gain understanding. The idea was then to, to leave that moment thinking about the story, right? Thinking about the riddle nature of it, not fully understanding it. So they would then walk away and begin to ask questions so they can gain 
gain fuller understanding. And so this morning, again, even as you read this parable, right, the idea of the parable is like, okay, what exactly does it mean and what's its intention? So I would say to you, yeah, I would invite you to go spend some time and look at the story and try to begin to get understanding, recognizing there's not some sort of dynamic equivalent every single part of this story, but that there are kind of overarching parts that Jesus is trying to get across. And I'm going to kind of get like a little cheat sheet this morning, give you some basic understanding and look at some different parts of the story. So the parable that Jesus tells, again, it's the story of an absentee landowner. This absentee landowner represents God in the story. The owner rented out his land for others. And specifically here, it's talking about the chief priests and the Pharisees. We see that later on in verse 45, talking about chief priests and Pharisees in the story. Uh, to, to, to use with an understanding that they would then divide the crop of fruit when the harvest came. But in the story, rather than share with the landowner, they attacked every person sent to represent the owner, and ultimately they killed the owner's son, who you now know to be Jesus. They didn't fully understand it yet, but we now know, looking back, that Jesus is talking about himself, that they would ultimately be the ones responsible for his death. You have to recognize this language and talking about fruit language and talking about vineyard language and talking about farmers that this was the culture, the story is a cultural story that would have fit the culture of the day. Like any farmers in the room who spend all day long with animals and maybe even like vineyards and what? So, yeah, so this isn't necessarily language for you. It's like, yes, this is my everyday life. But the reality is that the chief priests and the Pharisees, a lot of them actually were landowners. They were actually somewhat wealthy or fairly wealthy, many of them. And actually many of them had vineyards that people were using. And so when they were telling this story, you had those who were landowners probably with vineyards. And a lot of the other followers of Jesus actually may have been the ones who were, who were these people who actually were doing all the work, right? And so they were able to identify with the story. But for us, I think we're all smart enough to begin to get the idea that in this story, God is represented as the landowner. And the idea here is this, in this traditional interpretation that it's a symbolic account of the history of Israel. Jesus is kind of summing up what the history of Israel had looked like in relationship to God. The religious leaders and the people as a whole, they had rejected God. We know that the others that he had sent, they represent the prophets in the Old Testament. We know from Jeremiah 7, 25 through 27, that, that Jeremiah talks about, hey, God sent these other voices and, and you didn't listen. You killed some of them, whatever it may be. And now they again, now they again here in the time of Jesus are rejecting God. And ultimately we know that their goal is to kill Jesus. The issue at hand And the indictment against them is the focus of this morning. We see it in verse 43. Of all the things that they're doing, Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will actually produce its fruit. He is taking away the kingdom. He's taking away their influence in it and ultimately giving it to disciples of Jesus and in time, giving it even to Gentile disciples of Jesus. Overarching, just picture of the story. Now, what's important to know about Jesus, and actually really important to know about this, the Gospel of Matthew, is the expectation 
of fruit production for God's people is brought up again and again. We see it in Matthew 3, 8. Jesus says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 3.10 says, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And 7.15 through 20, we are warned about false prophets and that by their fruit, you will recognize them. Here in the story, Jesus is directly confronting his greatest antagonists. We're told again who they are in verse 45 when it says the chief priest and the Pharisees. Verse 45, it says, when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. He knew, they knew that Jesus was talking about them. They're the great antagonists. They are being told by Jesus, hey, guys, you're not producing the fruit of the kingdom, and it's going to be taken away from you. And here's the power behind this story, for those of you who just kind of love to connect New Testament and Old Testament. These aren't new words. All Jesus is doing is quoting the history of Israel at the time of being banished by God and taken into captivity from the prophet Isaiah. All he's doing is using the words of Isaiah. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. I don't need to read them to you. Why? Because it's the exact words that Jesus told in his story. And here's the reason. You've got to recognize these Pharisees, these chief priests, like they knew the Bible a lot better than all of us. There's a good chance they had literally memorized the entire prophetic word from Isaiah and could have quoted it standing up here on a Sunday morning. They probably could quote, they could actually quote much more than that because they gave their life to studying Scripture. They knew it inside and out, right? They were the great teachers. They were the ones who were looked highly upon, right? In the religious circles of the day, they would have been at the very top, the pinnacle, and everybody would have shown them great respect. And so when Jesus is in this moment and everyone recognizes that Jesus is talking about them, there's probably a level of surprise and shock. You know how when someone says something about someone else and you're afraid to look at the someone else to see what the response is going to be because you know that he knows that they know that he's talking about them and like in the room feeling awkward, right? That was probably happening right here. Because in this moment, what they would have known would have been verse 7 of Isaiah 7, where it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. They are cut deep because they knew the implications of this verse. They knew the implications of this verse. They knew that Israel had not honored God, and so he took, in a sense, took them out of the kingdom and put them in captivity. And God, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that now to you and remove you. But the story is actually worse because Jesus says, they didn't kill God's son, and you're going to. The weight of these words is powerful. The weight is this. They understand from the language of Isaiah 
They, in the eyes of Jesus, have not borne fruit, and the kingdom is being taken away. It's a massive indictment against them. They understood it completely. They understood it implicitly. And they felt the weight of it so much so it says, and I think in verse 46, that they then among themselves tried to figure out a way to kill Jesus. It's a big deal. And so when we talk about the expectation of God in his people is that they bear fruit of the kingdom. We have to recognize that's not just a random aside. It's not just something that's one of many things. No, Jesus says, my followers are those that I expect to produce fruit. And if you don't, I don't. I can't sit here and say, so it wasn't like today, but ultimately there's this separation from the kingdom that Jesus implements, and it's something for us that needs to be sobering. So with that in mind this morning, with, with that in mind this morning, I want to talk about the fruit. I want to talk about production. I want to talk about what you need to do to make it happen. And then I want to begin with the warning. These are all intentional things we're going after. I want to begin with the warning. The warning is, is clear. We see it here, right? And speaking about the failure of the chief priests and the failure of the, the Pharisees, Jesus, again, is kind of using earth-shattering. Like, I don't, I mean, how many of you recognize this from, because you're all great Bible theologians throughout history, that you know the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the Sadducees, all, like, they're kind of antagonists. They're, they're like, because they're like, everybody just raise your hand. I want everyone to recognize you're all really smart. You're like, you don't have to be a, read a Bible for more than like two seconds to become a Bible theologian and recognize, oh, they're not nice to Jesus, right? It's like they're difficult. They're the antagonist of the story. But again, I want to make it really clear. I'll never forget, again, this is, this, this, this is seminary class for me. It took me this long. I was sitting in seminary class, and we spent an hour talking about how great the Pharisees were. Like, we talk, we spend a full hour saying, listen, they're given a bad rap in Scripture, but, and like everyone throws stones at them, but like, do you recognize, like, they studied the Bible every day. They spent hours a day in prayer. They were incredibly faithful with their tithe and their 10%, right? They were incredibly uh, outward in their activity of, of helping, right? Helping those that were in need, right? They were the ones who represented like the pastors and the great theologians. Everyone in the community saw them as pillars of the community, right? Those that they could look up to. They were the ones that people adored in the moment, right? People looked up and people wanted to be discipled by them. Like they were modeling the same style of discipleship that Jesus did. They did. Only difference is Jesus took like the low class people and they took the best of the best and invested into them, right? And everyone loved that. They recognized them as those that they feared because of how holy they viewed them to be. It's important to make that distinction. Because it's easy to make them the antagonist as the great enemy without realizing, to be honest with you, the equivalent today of Pharisees are good church leaders. People who've been Christians their entire life, 
people who live very convicted about right and wrong, looking at people saying, oh, well, you shouldn't do that because the Bible says, right? Those who are at every prayer meeting, those who are read their Bible every single day and are super holy, super set apart, like those are the equivalent of Pharisees in the sense of their devotion. In the prodigal son story, the elder brother who was always with the father and always working for the father and always doing things for the father represent the Pharisees. The church is full of Pharisees. And so the description he gives of them and this challenge, I want to set that tone. He comes in chapter 15. I'll look at two sets of scripture. This is just Jesus' words about them. I want you to think about like their holiness, like in the eyes of the world. I want you to think about their devotion. He says, these people, talking about Pharisees, chief priests, these people, right? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Think elder brother. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He goes on in chapter 23. This is like, man, big words right here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Yes, you give a tithe, you give a a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. You've neglected justice. You've neglected mercy in the context of the people you're looking down upon. You have neglected faithfulness to God and to others. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind idiots. I just added that word. Guides, right? I think the Greek there is being really nice. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I have no idea what that means, but it ain't good, right? 25, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. This is, this, this is practical. Small group. There's a question about this in your small group. You can get a little cheat right now. Start studying this, okay? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup, your heart and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Like that last part is like, you're doing all this stuff on the outside, but the inside, it's done out of, listen, done out of jealousy, it's done out of envy, it's done out of competition. Our warning begins by seeing the fruit, our warning for us, right? This morning is like, see the fruit of the religious leaders. They were convicted people, spiritual people, spiritually active people, but in them again and again and again, we find these, we, we find the fruit of self-effort, the fruit of competition, the fruit of pride, right? The, 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 the fruit of doing things to be seen by other people. They were marked by the fruit of busyness and activity in doing things simply to make a name for themselves among other people. They looked down upon people. They saw themselves as being better. They said, oh, those people, Right? You name for yourself right now what you deem as some great sin in our culture. How often have you called them those people, the thems of the world? There's no thems. If you want to talk about a simple takeaway of the gospel of Jesus in the New Testament, there is no such thing as thems. 
There's just a desire to always fight for the we. The focus, listen, they focused on looking right over being right. The issue of the heart. The issue of loving others. They pushed religion over relationship. They focused on promoting self over promoting and showing kindness and compassion in every relationship they're in. And all of it, they did not produce the fruit of the kingdom. The warning is clear. Jesus is, listen, Jesus was taking inventory of their fruit and saying, guys, you're absolutely not just lacking, you were void of. And I'm taking the kingdom away and I'm giving it to the least of the least who will follow me. And I'm going to ultimately give it to those, to, to the thems that we call Gentiles. Just wait. I can't wait to do it. The warning, again, they had to take inventory. And so for us, the warning is clear. Hear this. If you've never done this, probably not language you've used. But we should always be taking inventory of the fruit that our life is producing in every relationship that we're in, in our family, in our jobs, at work, in our neighborhood, our, the ministry that we're doing for those who are in need, right? Taking inventory of the fruit that our life is producing and say, God, does this match kingdom fruit? So what is kingdom fruit? What is kingdom fruit? Well, when speaking about fruit, you have to begin with the fruit of the Spirit named by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, right? Where Jesus, where Paul comes and says, all right, here, here are the type of fruit of the kingdom that will be expressed relationally from you to other people, right? So if you are connecting and looking like, acting like, and sounding like Jesus, here is the fruit specifically in relationship. Put that on the screen for me. Chapter 5, verse 22 and through 23. Paul says, all right, here it comes. Here's the fruit of the kingdom or the fruit of the spirit. They're synonymous this morning. The fruit of the kingdom, fruit of the spirit, it's love, right? It's joy. It is peace. It is patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. Self-control, right? There is no law committed against these things. The idea is there's nothing that can stand against these. And so the idea is like in every single one of my relationships, right? When I am producing fruit of the kingdom, I'm able to express patience. But here's the point. What we're talking about is expressing the fruit of these, of the kingdom, when the exact opposite is pushing against us. That's the point. When the exact opposite, you can lean on the, so again, I know we, we have our virtual, but I think the idea again, it's like the idea, so with, so with, with Sarah here, my daughter, right? In the context of my relationship is dad to daughter. Like I should be able to say my patience is greater today than it was five years ago in our relationship because of the fruit of Jesus in me expressing that. Tom, right, he takes the group that he is working with, and he gets into that place, and all of a sudden, right, where he has his guys, and they're working hard together, and, and there's this great tension in the moment. Maybe there's even a level of fear or a level of tension when there's just no peace in the room. Five years ago, Tom would have been one of the ones who was freaking out, right? But the presence of God is so clear with Tom now that all of a sudden, the fruit of peace now is present. 
in the context of his relationships. And he's looking, going, man, I, I feel like I'm in a different place today than I was five years ago, even with peace in a difficult moment being expressed. Why? Because, because God has birthed it in him. So we have this peace, this, this fruit. Like you should be doing an inventory. I'm not saying, here's the thing, I'm not saying perfection in these. How many of you, like me, are imperfect, right? You are all in a place of growth and maturity, but you're able to see I am growing in a place of maturity that these things, I can say, are actually more manifest in me today than they were yesterday and the day before and the day before, right? In the nature of all of our relationships, fruit of the kingdom seen in Galatians chapter 5. When talking about fruit, we have to look at the actions of Jesus. So there's relational fruit, but there's also the active fruit in our lives. And the active fruit in the lives of Jesus. What do I mean? Well, it's the idea of what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Like, remember those bracelets came out, and like everyone loved them, and then the hyper-religious Pharisees, well, you shouldn't be saying that. I mean, what would Jesus do? It's much deeper than that, right? It's like, no, what would Jesus do? Like, I get into a life situation, right? I get into a life situation, so Michael and I are hanging out. Michael and I have this tension moment, or Michael brings something to the table, or something rises in my life, and I look at it and go, okay, active fruit, Jesus, I'm in relationship with you, so what would you do right now? And ever how Jesus would respond is a fruit of the kingdom in that moment. Jesus just got asked and allowed to manifest himself in a moment. Active fruit. The things that Jesus did. What would Jesus do? Again, you name an activity of Jesus that brought life, that brought change in the world, the person's life. And that's a fruit of the kingdom. He produced fruit. The expression of the fruit was he proclaimed the gospel to those who are in need of salvation. Fruit of the kingdom. He produced the fruit of ministering to felt needs of those whom God loves. You know he cared for the poor. He prayed for the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He fought for those who couldn't fight for themselves. He brought about justice. He fought against injustice, right? He took social issues that were, that were not God's plan, not God's will, not God's desire, were a result of the fall and said, no, I want to reestablish my kingdom in those broken places and I'm going to fight for those and bring justice to them. That's what he did. It's a fruit of the kingdom. So when we come this morning and we talk about fighting for at-risk children, It's because we want to respond to the love of God to establish his kingdom again in something that's been broken because of the fall, because of the nature of broken families that God never intended. So we will be the ones God uses to reestablish that. Fruit of the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. It's beautiful. Producing the fruit of the kingdom is a life lived, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus produced the fruit of dying to self, died violently so that you could live. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you will die too. You will take up my cross and you will follow me, the fruit of the kingdom. So the question we end with is, 
How do we produce this fruit? So what do we do, Steve? What do we do? Well, the great thing is you can't do anything. You can't produce fruit. You can't make it happen. You can't go plant a spirit tree and make it grow and you water it in your own strength and make it happen. Only Jesus can grow it. And I don't want you to, I want you to lose this, right? Jesus says clearly, you can't grow, you can't grow the tree. You can't produce fruit. Only I can. I'm going to read two verses to you, very familiar verses. In these verses, I don't want you to overthink them. Don't over-theologize. Don't think smarter people can get it. I'm going to read it, and it means what it says. It's super practical. The way that he says it, it should make sense. It's just really clear, right? Don't overthink these verses. John 15, 4 and 5. You've been a Christian for longer than like five years. You've probably heard these verses three times. It says this, Jesus speaking, hey, guys, just remain in me as I also remain in you. This is speaking to faithfulness on both parties. Faithfulness, hey, remaining, I'm doing a wedding today here in the several hours. I'm going to talk about the covenant they enter in. Hey, that God's going to put you together. And what God puts together, man should not separate. We should always live together in unity together as one. That's the picture here. You remain in me, I'll remain in you. It shows the faithfulness of doing life together, right? So remain in me as I also remain in you. And it's real practical again. It's like it's, it's, you know, language of trees again. No branch, no branch makes it super common sense. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Like we're in that season of picking up leaves and like picking up leaves and branches in our yard because the wind blowing, right? You can't take a leaf, right? And it's like dying right here, just disintegrating by itself. Unfortunately, you can't put it back on the tree. But if you could, right, that's the only way it would live. A leaf that falls and it dies without the tree. So here it is saying the same thing. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine to get nutrients. Neither can you bear fruit. You can't bear fruit unless. You remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, y'all, you just, you just can't do anything. You just can't do anything. The expectation of Jesus for us is clear. We are to bear the fruit of the kingdom, but you can't produce this fruit. Only Jesus can produce it in you. It's the beautiful nature of the farmer. Farmer Jesus, you give your life to him, and farmer Jesus says, perfect, now I'll come into your life, and I will just use my shovel with my nice hat, right? I love, it's super important that they literally thought, when, they, when Jesus was like, they thought that, you know, after the resurrection, they thought he was a gardener. They thought he was a gardener. The woman said, oh my gosh, we go to the gardener and ask him, where do we put the body? Gardeners are really important there, guys. He's saying, that's what I am in your life. I come into your life as a gardener, and I plant the tree, and that tree produces fruit. And as you continue to remain in me, that fruit will grow and grow, and people will experience it, and they'll be active with it. How do I grow it, Jesus? Just just remain in me. But yeah, but what else do I need to do? Well, learn from the Pharisees. They did a lot of nothing, and it produced a separation from the kingdom. Just be with me. Remain in me. Be faithful to me. Devote yourself to me. Live your life for me. And what will happen 
is the fruit will just be produced in your life. Here's the beauty. God's presence, as you remain connected to him, it changes you without you even knowing it. It changes you without you even knowing it. All of a sudden, you go, huh, I just responded differently here than I did over here. I just expressed no fear in moments when fear used to cripple me. I used to walk in rejection here, but I didn't when those words were said about me. Why? And Jesus says, I've been changing you without you even knowing it. It just happens. He changes you. What's your responsibility? Just be with him. Right? It's the beauty. It's those who seek first the kingdom of God that Jesus adds everything to. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added to you. Make relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. The joy of celebrating Jesus on a daily Listen, if all your relationship is, with Jesus is is working for him and producing something and living on mission and giving something away and helping people, then you're like a Pharisee. You're doing it in your own strength, but if you're not experiencing the fruit of celebratory joy, of enjoying his presence in the moment and the invitation to you, it's like, just come and remain. Just come and be. Just come and live, like literally. Just come and spend a full day and just enjoy my presence. Don't produce anything for me today. Just come and be with me. If you give yourself to Jesus, be faithful in those relationships, you will bear fruit. Take an inventory of your life. You're not experiencing, you're not expressing much kingdom fruit. Then just shift life and begin to remain in him. Be with him. Take a Sabbath. Don't take your Sabbath day of rest and give yourself to anything but being with Jesus. If you don't have a Sabbath day, then create one. Create space where the only agenda of my day is to know him, to experience him, to let his love wash over me. To take, listen, it's like, I mean, this in the picture I always have for me and someone preached this message about 25 years ago and it stuck with me. Every day and every moment, and with the great intentionality, I'm going to take my hose. I'm going to just, I'm going to just take it right there and put it onto the faucet. And I'm going to say, oh, Jesus, turn on that faucet and let's get into flow. Right? Nothing crimping, no distractions, no activity to crimp my hose and keep me from experiencing you and hearing your voice. I just want to be with you. If it's five minutes in the morning, then God turn that hose on super strong and remain in Him. This morning is Stan Sunday. Randall celebrated it. It's our day. It's a beautiful day of just of dedicating children to the Lord who have been brought into our family. It's an initiative created to bring awareness to the needs of children and teens who are at risk in the foster care system. At Vintage, we are devoted to foster care. Our pri- listen, our primary overarching mission that defines why what we do in mission is all about at-risk children. We love the poor, but we're designed to give ourselves to at-risk children, right? That's what we give ourselves to primarily with our time, our money, and our energy. So when you give money in ties, we put that money towards at-risk children in some form or fashion. Why do we do it at Vintage 242 Church? It's very simple. 
because we as leaders were abiding with Jesus. We were connected to the source of life. We were remaining in him. We were just sitting with him. We began to pray, God, we just want to be, we want to be who you want us to be and do what you want us to do. God, what is your will? What's your desire? And in remaining with him, he spoke and said, I want you to follow me. So we followed him and we followed him to at-risk children and specifically those who were in foster care that could lead to adoption. Listen, we didn't have a call to foster care. We had a call to Jesus and we just followed him as we were being with him and spending time with him to the children. And when we look at vintage today, there are, I don't, I I said hundreds of the first service. I don't really know if that's true or not. Randall said 70 or 80, whatever. There's been a lot of children over the last eight years of doing foster care at vintage. who have been impacted by our, by the ministry of vintage, right? Children who come in our doors, people have been impacted and children impacted. You won't even ever come inside our doors, right? We're still impacting them today in the midst of all of our brokenness, in the midst of all of our growth areas, in the midst of all of our immaturities. You know what God said to me when I was, and I don't use that word lightly. I'm literally in preparation for this message. I'm talking through all of this with the Lord. I'm literally practicing my message. I do that every week. Whenever I practice, God shows up. I begin to speak these words and God speaks over me and I literally began to cry in my basement. I don't ever do that, but I began to cry because God said this, in the midst of all of your broken places, I want you to hear me say, you're producing fruit of the kingdom. Well done, Vintage 242 Church. I'm not trying to be dramatic, right? Well done. Well done. For foster parents and adopted parents, well done. For those who've loved on children in some form or fashion the last eight years, well done. For those of you who have made meals, who've gone over to the Receiving Hope Center, who have gone on mission trips to bless some of the kids, for those who literally come and do parents' night out, those who give gift cards during the year, well done. It was the work of the Lord in you to make that work happen. You were doing what Jesus would do. You just wanted to follow him into the things that were on his heart. Well done. We've done it. And God is pleased. It wrecked me in the moment. Because I don't know about you, but as leaders and those of you who are leaders, you know it's so easy to focus on the broken places rather on the winds. Things that are going poorly rather than things that are going well. And I was like, oh, Jesus, thank you just for focusing me. And the vintage is producing the fruit of the kingdom. You're proud of us as a dad. So, thank you all for being here this morning. You can bring the bring the lights down as we respond this morning. Just a, a few things. One, I invite you just to take inventory of your own life this morning. Not done out of uh, take, don't take inventory in fear. Like, oh my gosh, God, when we take inventory. It's us being honest with Jesus. And he goes, oh, thank you. Now that you're listening, I can speak. Right? It's a gift to be honest with the Lord. So just be honest with him. Just do an inventory of where you are. Maybe plugging into, say, God, I need to, I just need to, I need, I need to engage you on a deeper level. God, I need, to, I need to be remaining in you as I'm remaining in me. Say, God, yes. Would you come, Lord, and begin to produce the fruit of your kingdom? I just submit to you. I just want to walk joyfully and with peace and with patience and kindness, understanding your goodness relating to me, Lord, and your faithfulness to me, God, and your undeniable love, Lord, that walking with you is a joy. It's 
that I can produce the fruit. Or you can produce the fruit and I can express it. You, he produces and you express. We have ministry teams available this morning. We'd love to just pray for about anything going on in your life. Anything. Healing, like we with us in this morning, we want to come and allow them to express the fruit of the kingdom in your life by being active to pray for areas of need in your life like Jesus did. Okay? So you respond in that way. When you sit this morning in worship, that's great too. But I just invite you to engage the Lord this morning.